Hello and welcome to Martian Drive-In Podcast 152. My name is Cherry Frost and I'm going to be talking about Avengers Endgame, amongst many other things. Yeah, what can you say about Avengers Endgame that hasn't already been said? I will try to find something. So sit back, I'll get the contact details out of the way. I'll let you know how Japan went for those of you who don't listen to Paleo Cinema Podcast. And then we'll get the show started. Martian Drive-In Podcast happens every two weeks. It's a podcast of science fiction, fantasy and horror appreciation. Sometimes I have guests in, sometimes I'll have a round table. Sometimes it's just random. Particularly when there's a Netflix Marvel Cinematic Universe thing coming up. Feedback is the bread and butter of podcasting, so you can put feedback through at the Paleo Cinema Cafe on Facebook. You can also email feedback to feedbackpaleo, P-A-L-E-O, at gmail.com. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com by going to patreon.com slash paleocinema for as little as a dollar a week. Uh, Just be aware when you're listening to the podcast, there may be some naughty words in it. So if there are kids around, you might want to listen to it later on. Okay, so how has everybody been since March? Yes, it's been March since I released a Martian Drive-In podcast. Things all went crazy with um, Japan and uh, settling back in after Japan and Sally's currently at her parents' place looking after them because they're quite uh, unwell at the moment. So I've got two weeks here solo and I thought I'd get the podcast out. What a novel idea. But um, yeah, so thank you for your patience while I did um, kind of get my ducks lined up again. And for those of you who haven't heard, and I've been putting it out everywhere, Japan was wonderful. Exhausting, but wonderful. Um, Love the food, love the people. Got to do some crazy things like going to the Ninja Museum in Iga, in a place called Yuenoshi, um, which I recommend if you go to Japan, you've got to go to the Ninja Museum. Takes you about two hours to get there from Osaka, which takes you about four hours to get to from Tokyo. But yeah, Ninja Museum, that's all you need to know. So, yeah, we had, we had a great time. We brought back a lot of stuff. We uh, put the credit cards up somewhat, though nowhere near the limit. I got myself a new camera, which I love. Uh, and we just had uh, 13 days of wonderfulness there. And it really was a science fictional environment for us as well, just to get back with the theme of the podcast. The use of technology in Japan is so superior to Australia. I get the feeling, and and this is a kind of humbling thing, that we're very much a kind of second-rate world power, particularly technologically. The internet was crazy fast. The toilet squirt your bum to um, clean it once you've had a poo. Um, Everything runs really well in the cities, and the history of the place was just mesmerizingly magical. I'm not going to waffle on any more than that. I did a whole paleo cinema about it, but it was great. So it's probably time to start talking about what I've been watching, and I'll just get my letterboxed up on the screen to do that. The TV side of things, I've been watching the new Twilight Zone, which is kind of mediocre. There's been one and a half episodes out of the seven so far that I've really enjoyed. The rest were a bit kind of mild and meek, because uh, even though Jordan Peele, of course is a great talent i think that they're competing against things like black mirror now and the you know the cutting edge of this kind of science fiction fantasy 
horror kind of hybrid um, anthology series has moved on. And so they've really got to be punching harder to really match the state of the art. And unfortunately, at this stage, they haven't done that. I don't know whether it's going to be going very long. I think it's got a second season. But it is a little bit kind of white bread, which is an odd thing to say um, with the diversity and with the person of colour running it. But it's a little bit kind of vanilla, in a sense. And... There's nothing really shocking about anything that comes out of it. Unlike a lot of the things that have come out of Black Mirror, it really does need to up its game to really be considered seriously in this second decade of the 21st century as a piece of kind of breakthrough television. What's the first seven episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, a TV series, and it's fun. It works. It's got some fantastic cameos. It's funny. And, um, yeah, it... Uh, really does have a bit of uh, fun about it, which is really nice. And Matt Berry's in it, of course, which is always a, a big thing. There's a big involvement of Jermaine Clement and Taika Waititi, who were the creators of the original thing. And the, some of the people who show up in the series are a bit surprising. Moving the location from New Zealand to Staten Island works. Uh, having that kind of marginal area really works. So I enjoyed that part of it as well. So I recommend that one. Let's see what I've been watching. I saw a New Zealand horror film while we are on the subject of New Zealand, and a New Zealand horror film from about 2015 called Fresh Meat. It's about a bunch of really haphazard crims who do a house break-in and get involved with a house full of cannibals. It's fun. It's transgressive. Lots of blood and gore and humour about it. Uh, Timoera Morrison's in it, and I haven't seen him in anything since Aquaman. And I rewatched Aquaman as well, and Timoera Morrison is the most valuable player in that movie as well. And that was a bit of fun. I saw that, I think, on Amazon Prime, on Netflix, one of the two. Uh, let's see, what else? I watched Vincent Price in Cry of the Banshee, which is a very much a lesser Vincent Price thing about witch finders and evil and nastiness and a fair bit of female nudity because it was 1971. Directed by Piers Haggard, who also did Blood and Satan's Claw. Very much a minor Vincent Price movie, but it was kind of nice revisiting it. Then I revisited something that was a lot of fun, which is One Touch of Venus, the slightly musical version of a story that's been told a lot of times since. Um, there's a statue of Venus in a department store, and a drunken uh, guy working there accidentally kisses it and brings it to life. It's the same story as Madigan, but done much better because... The Goddess Venus is played by Ava Gardner. The movie's also got Eve Arden in it. Tom Conway, uh, George Santa's brother, plays the head of the department store. And it works. It really did have a lot of fun. Olga San Juan's one of the love interests. Dick Hames is in it as well. And then saw a sequel to a movie that I liked from 2007 called The Man from Earth. And it's The Man from Earth Holocene, which continues the story of a 14,000-year-old man hiding in modern day USA uh, it works the The sequel is like the first one very low budget but it does set up a continuing series of movies if they want to go in that direction and again it's a story of ideas like the first one was and maybe a bit less so than the first one but it was good to see what happens to the character and it was based on a um, story by Jerome Bixby, a, a science fiction writer of some renown, back about 50 or 60 years ago. So I enjoyed watching that, even though it's kind of a lesser movie. 
Then I saw something really good, an Australian movie, which I've recommended to our good friend Morris over at Love That Album, and he took his wife Jo on a date night to see this movie. And it's an Australian movie called Top End Wedding, starring Miranda Tapsell, who's an Indigenous actor. Um, it's about uh, an Indigenous woman living in Adelaide who has an English boyfriend. They get engaged, and through circumstances, they've got to get married up in the top end of Australia, up around Darwin and Tiwi Islands, within 10 days. And they get up there to arrange the wedding and find out that um, Lauren, the character played by Miranda Tapsell's mum, has left her father. And they've got to try to find her mum and get the wedding organised in 10 days. It's a beautiful film. It plays for the first two acts as a romantic comedy and then becomes a much bigger narrative about reconciliation and um, Indigenous culture and all sorts of other things. It really is a feel-good movie, but it's also got a lot of depth to it. I want to see a lot more of this kind of cinema in Australia. Uh, I talked about it on the ABC radio and got a good response from that. So I recommend Top End Wedding if you can all find it. I think you'll find it quite an amazing piece of cinema. It's my favourite Australian movie of this year so far. Uh, I saw Dollman, uh, the Charles Band movie with Tim Thomason playing Brick Bardo, uh, an alien bounty hunter who comes to Earth, but he's only 11 inches tall. And that's kind of fun. It's very much in the kind of 1980s VHS era uh, science fiction movie thing. And, and it kind of worked for me. I, I did enjoy that. Turned up on my Amazon Prime subscription uh, with the intro done by Elvira, who's holding up remarkably well for a lady of her age. And, um, yes, I I kind of enjoyed doing that. Then I saw a found footage vampire movie called Living Among Us, which was the last movie that John Hurd, the actor, appeared in. Um, And it kind of works. It's slow budget. It has all of the usual issues you have with found footage movies, but it makes them work. And, yeah, it's, it's not the best thing you're ever going to see, but it's not a waste of time. So I recommend that. Uh, I saw Solomon and Sheba, which is an interesting biblical epic from 1959 starring Yul Brynner and Gina Lollabridger. Originally it starred Tyrone Powell, but he died during the making of it. He had a massive heart attack and croaked. And so Yul Brynner came in and uh, he took over the role of Solomon, King Solomon, uh, George Sanders is in it as well, which is kind of interesting. Finlay Curry is in it. Um, Lawrence Naismith. A whole bunch of old actors from the... Um, and it's not great. It's not fantastic, but it's got a couple of moments of fun about it. Um, biblical epics are a weird genre, all of their own, which haven't really moved on very much. In fact, they've diminished in recent years. There's a lot of very didactic... Um, Bible stories being made and, and turning up on Netflix queues and stuff like that. But Solomon and Sheba has some nice production design about it, so I didn't mind it too much. I picked it up for $2 secondhand at a flea market in Ballarat a little while ago. Apart from that, I haven't seen very much at all. Um, I'm currently working on a YouTube video about other actors who could have played James Bond and what they would have been like playing James Bond. So I'm writing the script of that at the moment. Uh, it's been a little bit slow going because I had my flu jab because there's a nasty flu season coming up here in Australia. And so I got my flu jab and I had a little bit of a reaction to it. Sometimes you get a kind of mild flu-like symptoms afterwards. 
as your body adjusts to the antibodies. And I've had a little bit of that and it's been slightly unpleasant, but I'm mending from that now. This is why the podcast is a couple of days late, actually. But um, yeah, so however, I did get time to see Endgame a second time. I'm not going to see the third time. I'm going to wait for the DVD, which I'll pick up, or Blu-ray in this case. But um, I'll give you the trailer, and then I'll talk about what I thought about it and maybe one or two other things that might be of interest. God, seems like a thousand years ago. I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man. Realized I loved you. I know I said no more surprises, but I was really hoping to pull off one last one. The world has changed. None of us can go back. All we can do is our best. And sometimes the best that we can do is to start over. I saw all these people die. I keep telling everybody they should move on. Some do. But not us. Even if there's a small chance, we owe this to everyone who's not in this room to try. We will. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. like this one. <laughs> it's hard to find anything to say about Avengers Infinity War that hasn't been said a thousand times online, but I'm going to try. Let's look at it as a piece of something much larger. 22 movies over 11 years telling the Infinity Saga, all linked together, all watchable movies at the very least, and bringing together a whole bunch of different characters. We've got an incredible ensemble now of heroes and villains to play with in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and they brought it all to the pointy bit with Infinity War and then with Endgame it's an unprecedented cinematic achievement which is the reason it's made two and a half billion dollars in the box office and totally wiped Titanic off the map it's really um something that can only happen in an age of social media where you can generate such fantastic buzz 
and such an intense fan following by being kind of immersed in this sea of social media. And they did a lot of things right. You've got to remember, look back to 2008 when Iron Man came out. Second run Marvel superhero, second rung, sorry, Marvel superhero. People knew Fantastic Four, they knew the X-Men, they knew um, Spider-Man. But, you know, Iron Man, a little off to one side. Got Robert Downey Jr. in to do the role. Robert Downey Jr. was a punchline in late night talk show monologues at the time. His career was really not doing fantastically well. But he committed to the role. John Favreau directed it. And it's good to see Favreau, by the way, in Endgame as well. He was there at the start. It's good that he's there at the finish of things. Not too many people have mentioned that, but I really enjoyed seeing him in there playing Happy Hogan, the kind of conciliary to Tony Stark in so many ways, and seeing him there with the family. Now, this is going to be spoilery. Uh, I've said it before at the start of the podcast, but we're going to get into some deep spoilers here, uh, mostly from the approach of do they work, do the things that happen not work. But now it's two weeks since the, the thing came out. And I've got to say that social media has moved on fairly quickly from Endgame. There are a lot of YouTube videos explaining what happened in Avengers Endgame. But we live in such a fast social media world that people are now on to the end of Game of Thrones as the meme du jour and, and the thing they're interested in more than anything. And it's amazing, even though people are still seeing the movie and it's still generating a lot of buzz and a lot of cash it's really amazing how the churn rate of what is interesting to people in social media and particularly when it relates to movies can move along Uh, people are starting to talk about spider-man far from home now which is probably what marvel wants them to do you get they've made a ton of cash out of endgame and they kind of want people to invest in the next product they're putting out. But it is a little surprising and and stunning that things have moved on. And the weird thing is, too, I was talking to someone today online about how in Japan Endgame did really well and there was a lot of PR for it when I was there. But what's doing even better in Japan is the anime Inspector Conan movie. Uh, Japanese are very interested in their own media culture, uh, even though they are invested, of course, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the Detective Conan movie is doing really, really well and has made more in the last week in Japan than Avengers Endgame. So we know the story from Infinity War. Thanos did his snap and half of the life in the universe died. Now, I've got some questions about that, like did half of the intestinal bacteria in the universe die as well? And how about half of the pond slime and how's that affecting ecosystems, particularly where there are marginal life forms? I mean, did half of the Siberian tiger die and and half of the pandas in the world and all that kind of thing? There are lots of deep diving, deep cuts you can do um, with that concept which will take you down an endless internet rabbit hole of research if you let it. And by the way, I did do some of it about intestinal bacteria and intestinal flora as well. But, um, yeah, the surviving Avengers are licking their wounds. They're really having a rough time of it. 
uh, the color palette of the movie shows that there are lots of grays and dark blues in the color palette, which when they find a way to fix what's happened, if you watch the movie, you can see the color palette eventually change and lighten and evolve from that. So they kind of do some interesting things there, which aren't immediately obvious. But when you think about it in retrospect, you can see. I did watch the color palette changes the second time I saw the movie. So they're there and licking their wounds. Five years passes. Tony Stark's moved on with Pepper. And they've got a young girl of about four years old called Morgan. So they've got a daughter. And he's living out in a country house by a lake. And not really, you know, and, and moving on more than a lot of the other Avengers have. Um, Black Widow's having troubles. Captain America's having troubles. Um, Mark Ruffalo's Hulk has turned into Professor Hulk by coming to terms with his things. So that's the kind of nice thing about it is some of the characters have moved on. Others haven't. And as indeed is reflected in the greater world, which we see when Steve Rogers is doing a group therapy session with a bunch of other survivors to talk about how they're coping with the fact that half of the people they knew and loved um, disappeared in a day. So they do kind of address that in some interesting and subtle ways. It's always nice in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to see how normal people are coping, and there's a little bit of room in this one, at that in that particular scene at least, to see how people are coping. The person who's not coping worst, of course, is Hawkeye, um, Clint Barton, who lost his entire family to the snap and then started becoming a vigilante, almost like Punisher, going around and killing surviving criminal gang members and criminal gang leaders from Mexico to Tokyo and there's an interesting arc for Clint in this one too and they do then give a little bit of space for Jeremy Renner to act which is kind of nice um, I like Renner as an actor I think that I want to see him in more diverse things and I think that now his story in the MCU has come to a kind of natural conclusion. It'll be good to see him and a bunch of other people like Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans and, of course, Robert Downey Jr. doing other things because these movies have been such a large part of their filmography for the last decade that I can understand their urge to avoid the typecasting if they can and to find other projects to further their career even though they've probably made enough to retire from these movies um, as professionals they obviously want to keep going in, in different directions and find things that are a bit challenging for them and I totally understand that the most problematic one of the um, deaths in Endgame was of course Black Widow um, now there were some interesting changes made during production to her story arc as well we see her post-snap five years later organising the remaining superheroes to kind of deal with world um, problems and, and you know, to kind of keep tabs on things and to put out spot fires around the world, which, of course, there'd be a lot of when half the people in the world <laughs> disappear all of a sudden. But originally there was a different story arc for her, which I think would have played out a lot better for Scarlett Johansson and also for Black Widow. Uh, originally, they were going to get her running um, a worldwide organisation to get 
orphans into foster homes. And this is kind of an important thing because we know from previous movies that Black Widow was forcibly sterilized when she was um, trained as an assassin in her childhood by the Russians. And um, she, you know, couldn't become a mother. And so she, uh, the idea of her putting together an organization that looks after orphans and through which she becomes a kind of proxy mother to a lot of people might have given the character that extra layer of depth which would have made her death that much more sharply felt in the context of the movie. But they chose not to do that for some reason. I would have liked to have seen it, actually. I would have liked to have seen her finding her best self and coming to terms with that trauma in her past and then doing things. And of course, you've got, you've got to cram all this into a three-hour movie. So the fact that they shortcutted this, I understand from one point of view, but for me, it seems like a lost opportunity not to have Natasha with that story arc where she's actually, you know, coming to terms with her own past as a way of also helping out um, people in need. Captain America, on the other hand, got the ending he deserved, which has been foreshadowed in some ways, or at least tied off plot lines from the very first appearance of Captain America and Captain America, the first Avenger. His character got the arc that it required, and yet Black Widow didn't, which is kind of a disappointment. Uh, let's, yeah, and I, one of the things that really impressed me too was the age makeup on Chris Evans when he came back as old Cap. Um, that was a really nice combination of prosthetic makeup and computer generated effects. It really did work much better than the de aging that's been done on some other people. And by the way, there was a nice bit of de aging done in this movie while I'm on the subject of Michael Douglas as Hank Pym being shown in the 1970s where he looks like Michael Douglas did when he was making Streets of San Francisco the TV series with Carl Malden that was kind of a nice cool callback to an earlier part of an actor's career that kind of worked for me that was a little easter egg for those of us who remember that not particularly fantastic TV series by the way that TV series was also one of the first screen appearances in television of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So the old guards moving out of the MCU, particularly the Avengers, and the younger, newer ones are, are coming in. They're, they're, some of them are not particularly too much younger than the people they're replacing. I mean, we've got War Machine, Don Cheadle's character. Um, we've got T'Challa, King of Wakanda, played by Chadwick Boseman in such great style. Um... Ant-Man, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, all the rest of them, really kind of moving the franchise forward. And I think that they're starting to get to the stage where we've had enough exposure to them and we kind of like the characters enough that moving the franchise on to the next phase is going to be a fairly smooth process. Then we've got Professor Hulk. Um, I'm not too sure whether Ruffalo's coming back or not, but Professor Hulk's arc is kind of interesting with... Uh, Bruce Banner coming to terms with his other side of things and blending the two over the five years post-snap. That kind of works. That's um, an interesting... It's, it's slightly humorous, of course, which is great. But it kind of does settle the character, though. That bit at the end where, using the Infinity Gauntlet, Hulk does um, get a deformed arm and gets um, his right arm... Is it the right arm with the Infinity Gauntlet or the left? Yeah, it's the right arm. 
um, damaged by using the Infinity Gauntlet. So having Hulk come in as a kind of secondary character, or not quite as a cameo, but as a kind of minor role in future MCU movies might be a cool thing, and we might then get to see a bit more of how um, Bruce Banner slash Professor Hulk moves on after the events of the Infinity Saga. I'd like to see that. I'd like to see that kind of little bit of extra bit just to see what he's doing maybe five years from now. That might be cool. Then he brings us to another problematic one, which is Thor. And Thor cutting the head off Thanos and then going into a post-traumatic stress disorder funk, playing Fortnite with Korg and his little mate in New Asgard. Hemsworth, of course, has developed into a nice, light comic actor. And so he plays that stuff well. The fat suit, yeah, it's a bit problematic, but um, it turns him into an almost Falstaff-like character in a way. He's, he's kind of a sad, fallen warrior in a sense. He does kind of get that arc of coming back and um, becoming the God of Thunder again. But I think that, yeah, it's, I, can, I can go either way on whether kind of Fat Thor works or what some people have said that it's fat shaming, but I'm not convinced that it is. I respect the opinion, though. Um, but I really think that uh, Hemsworth... We'll probably see Hemsworth in a future Guardians of the Galaxy movie in some way. And it'll be interesting to see where Thor moves on from there. We're so invested in these characters. That's the lovely thing about the franchise, is that over the years, and we have been living with them for more than a decade, we've kind of grown to like a lot of these characters and that really works for us i mean i think that people are a lot more invested in these characters than say the characters in the x-men franchise and x-men dark phoenix is coming out later in the year though admittedly the marvel movies coming out with a lot more frequency than the x-men movies but we really haven't engaged with the characters anywhere near as much even given that um discrepancy in the frequency of the films marvel now has the rights to x-men which probably means at some stage they'll do a hard reboot on the franchise. And the fact that the time travel aspects of Endgame have opened up the multiverses, they can then kind of hive off um, X-Men into a different universe than the MCU's prime universe, which I suspect that that's what they'll do. Uh, Could be wrong, been wrong before. But, yeah, that one's um, a kind of... that, That investment in the MCU characters is a great credit to the actors, the writers and the directors and and the studio itself that they can get us to care about some essentially silly characters in some ways. I mean, these guys have been planning Endgame since they first announced it in 2014. So it's been in the process for five years, which is a long lead time for any film. And I think that taking that time and putting in all those hours has really benefited it. So what's happening in the future of the MCU? I mean, you've got Captain Marvel, of course, the the biggest and toughest hero in the MCU at this stage. And so we'll be seeing much more of her. Uh, Marvel have announced that they're going to be doing some LGBTQI um, inclusions in future films. They've said that there's one existing character who is um, queer in some way and that they're going to be introducing more. My theory is, I think, I'd say, I'm throw out these theories, and they're probably wrong, and I'm kind of sanguine with that. I think it's Captain Marvel. 
That's just my idea of it. But um, whether that's the case or not, we will find out. But they did say that an existing character will come out at some stage in the future and that they are adding more people of diverse sexual orientations and possibly even genders in future movies. Great. Fantastic. Um, I don't think they're going to make a heavy use of it because they want to sell to markets where um, kind of gay inclusiveness isn't really something that the censors in those particular markets is going to permit. But we'll wait and see. Maybe they're going to kind of push the envelope there, and I sincerely hope that they do because it's something we need to do. It's not necessarily pushing cultural imperialism, but pushing an agenda of inclusiveness. I think that's a separate thing from culture. I think that homophobia is a choice rather than a cultural attribute in a lot of cultures, and it's becoming a growing issue as the internet spreads in its pervasiveness. And I think that it's something that um, the MCU, if it can make some positive contribution to that, great. Um, We're going to get new generations of heroes. They're doing the Shang-Chi movie. They're doing the Celestials with Angelina Jolie, I believe, in uh, one of the in the movie for that, um, and a few other things. I want to see Prince Namor. I don't give a fuck that Aquaman came out and was crazily popular. I want to see Prince Namor, the original King of Atlantis, get a movie because I liked um, Namor ever since the nineteen sixty six Gramway. Um, TV cartoons, which were totally badly done and just kind of animated Jack Kirby's artwork. But I like Namor. I've watched those cartoons, by the way, by John Vernon, who was the dean in Animal House. So there you go. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm doing a panel at Continuum next month, um, at Continuum, the Melbourne Science Fiction Convention, doing a panel on superhero burnout. And I'm kind of going to be against that as a concept for a number of reasons, one of which is I don't feel it myself. And here's going to be one of my arguments. Superhero films are a broad genre. You can tell stories of the Guardians from the Galaxy at one end and the Punisher at the other. You can do Daredevil and you can do Thor. You can tell serious stories. You can tell humorous stories. You can tell political thrillers. You can tell heist films. It's a kind of capsule into which you can put a whole bunch of different genres and spin them a little bit and family sagas even you can do family sagas in it as the really bad tv series of the inhumans tells us so just like westerns and just like film noir and just like historical epics and all sorts of other things you can tell a whole bunch of different stories using the kind of umbrella category of superhero films and i don't think that we've kind of worn that out yet I want to see something like a... I mean, give Tarantino a superhero film, see what he does with it. That'd be a lot of fun. He's a comic book fan when he finishes Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which I'm looking forward to. Give the guy a superhero film. It doesn't matter whether it's in a big franchise or not. I just want to see a Tarantino superhero movie. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a very broad thing. I think that because it's the new flavour of the month genre... There's always going to be a bit of a backlash about it, particularly a, a decade into it hitting its straps seriously. But I don't think that um, it's worn out at all. Yeah, the, the audiences are going to change. There are going to be people who drop out of the audience for superhero movies, except for incredibly large tempo movies like Endgame. And there are going to be new people upcoming who are going to go, wow, this is cool, I want to be a part of this, and who 
grow up and have enjoyed the Marvel movies in the same way that previous generations have enjoyed other franchises. So there are going to be people in their 20s now who saw Iron Man when they were 10, 11 years old and who are severely invested in it as a piece of their popular culture um, ecosystem. And as a, if there's a lesson, particularly that the MCU can learn from previous generations of popular franchises, I think it is you don't go back and reboot or, or kind of tell these, the same stories repeatedly. Tell the next story. Move the franchise forward. Move the universes. And there will be more than one universe, of course, with the MCU in future. Move the universes forward and show us things we haven't seen before. As movie technology improves, we are going to see more and more things that even now haven't been able to be shown because of technological limitations. And we're going to see them done a lot better than they have been in the past as well. It really is going to be um, a lot of fun just sitting back and going for that ride in whichever way the genre takes us. I'm just looking at the list of upcoming movies. I mean, on the 23rd of May here in Australia, we've got Brightburn coming out, which is that dark twist on a Superman story. We've got Godzilla, King of the Monsters coming out, which is not exactly a superhero movie. In June, we've got Dark Phoenix. We've got Men in Black International coming out. There's a reboot of Shaft, which is going to be at least kind of slightly interesting. Spider-Man Far From Home comes out in July. Uh, let me see. There's that shitty reboot of The Lion King, which was ripped off from Kimber the White Lion anyway, coming out in July as well. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's coming out in August. Uh, let's see. So I think we're pretty much taken care of for the rest of the year. Then, of course, the MCU is going to be probably out two or three movies a year. Uh, Aquaman 2 is a guaranteed movie to come out because of the popularity of Aquaman. So, yeah, um, I don't think the superhero film is going anywhere. I think that, if nothing else, Endgame has boosted it into new heights and people want to see um, superhero films. And it's going to be part of their normal thing. They're going to be watching rom-coms. They're going to be watching serious dramas. They're going to be watching the kinds of movies that get nominated for awards. And they're going to be watching superhero movies. It's just another genre in movies and yeah it's more popular than all the other genres put together right now but i think that uh, that could change in the future whether it does or not who knows i think that the marvel machine has tuned itself to such a fine pitch that it's difficult to imagine that they're going to have a failure anytime in the next five or six years at least so just to wrap this one up yes i enjoyed endgame i enjoyed it the second time around though it didn't have the shocks and surprises that the first one did and i managed to avoid the spoilers the first time around too which is kind of cool and I, I did appreciate the movie that much more i think that people on the internet were much nicer about this one than they have been about previous movies and i'm fine with that i uh, i think that everybody kind of knew there'd be a time travel aspect to it but beyond that i think that it really um worked and I think that kindness on the internet, slightly new phenomenon. Um, maybe the nastiness has moved into the political realm. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, it's, yeah, I, I did enjoy the film a hell of a lot. And I'm looking forward to the next phase of the MCU. Um, by the way, this weekend we have a federal election. We have a national election here in Australia. And everybody I know, well, not everybody I know, but most of the people I know, 
have their fingers crossed that we'll have a change of government and that changes the national culture as well. I want to see more support for Australian film, as indeed do a lot of my um, movie buff friends, Travis Johnson, Grant Watson, Andrew Pearce. I think that uh, Australia has a possibility here to punch way above its weight in particularly genre cinema. We seem to have a bit of a passion for it. And it would be nice to see a few breakout movies in whatever genre from Australia. Uh, apart from Top End Wedding, which I'd recommend highly. I think it's the best rom-com to come out in a few years. I did see also Longshot, the movie with Seth Rogen and Shelley Theron. I saw that while I was recording this podcast, in fact. And I recommend that one because it's actually a, a, not only is it a rom-com and is it a kind of transgressive comedy, it's also got some interesting and complex things to say about politics. So that's kind of a cool thing because um, whether we like it or not, we're so deeply immersed in politics here in Australia right now, coming into that election on Saturday. I think that that movie does give a really nice nuanced take on the fact that the bad guys in politics aren't the other side. They're not the people who's you know, the other major party wherever you live. The bad guys are not the puppets, they're the puppeteers. And one of the things that Longshot does is it makes the argument that the problem is behind the scenes and not necessarily the people you see standing in front of the teleprompters. And I think that's definitely the case, and it's become a big issue here in Australia, particularly with the influence of Rupert Murdoch on the Australian political system over the decades. So, yeah, um, maybe we need a deeply political uh, superhero movie. Maybe that will work. It's just a thought. Anyway, thank you for listening. Um, I'll be back. I'll be back on normal schedule, basically, um, with the podcast. I really did need some downtime after coming back from Japan, just from the sheer mind-blowingness of it. So we will be back to alternating Paleo Cinema and Martian driving podcasts on a weekly basis in future. The YouTube channel is still going ahead. I'm doing a James Bond-themed YouTube video at this very moment. So anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, Watch some good movies, watch some bad movies, watch any kind of movie you like, and tell people about it if you enjoyed it. Uh, And as usual, thank you again to the Patreon supporters who have helped keep the podcast going over this hiatus. And to honour them, of course, we have the credits for the podcast in the style of movie credits right now. So take care of yourselves and I'll be back very soon. And as usual, I'll throw a piece of music at the end of the credits as a post-credit sequence. See you later. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Drive-In Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the special effects technician, Ian the caterer, Grant the Technicolor consultant, Claire the script doctor, Gary the prop master, Morris the musical director, Jan the dialect coach, Arm and our key grip, Matt the rattlesnake wrangler, Elaine our scientific advisor, Julia our casting director, Chris our camera operator, Christopher our gaffer, Miss Jane our wardrobe mistress, Tansy, our Foley artist, Alyssa, our location scout, Mark, our second unit director, Paul, our special makeup effects director, Tammy, the donut wrangler, 
Tim, our New York Unit Director, Rabbi Steve, our Spiritual Advisor, uh, Steve Sullivan, our Director of Monster Effects, Dylan, our Goat Wrangler, Eric, our Set Security Lead, Richard H., our Set Photographer, Mark D., our Extra, and David L., our Extra, Kerry H., who is the Accountant, and our newest supporter, Gary J., who is a CG effects technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. I really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. Well, I done got over it. Lord, I done got over it. You know I done got over it. Well, I done got over it. The day that I first met you, you seemed such a sweet little thing. But after a while, you got so bad. You know it was the crying shame, but I done got over. Lord, I done got over. Although I know my love was in vain Cause every time that I turned my back I was out with some other man But I done got over Lord, I done got over Satisfied, but I done got old. Lord, I done got old. Well, I done got old. I done got old. 